You're listening to Work Tape, episode 70. All right, welcome back to the Work Tape podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell, over the Zoom airwaves this time. Uh, with, of course, Isaac Groovin Grover. We are back covering years that end in two and now we are to the year 2012 now 2012 is a really interesting year mostly in the fact that um many people were very much under the belief that the world was going to come to a complete end in this year very much like how 12 years before with the whole y2k phenomenon so that was kind of one thing that was definitely public consciousness and i think you had a fair amount of music preceding it that almost had this kind of we are going to party until the world ends kind of feel to it i remember that very well yeah was harlem shake from that year yes oh gangnam style what yes 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 all of those kind of one-off trendy meme type songs were from that year actually 2012 in my humble opinion is kind of when a lot of those types of songs really began to take form especially because of the aforementioned gangnam style which was one of the uh, actually has the credit of being the first youtube video that has a billion views and of course the harlem shake kind of was another example of a short instrumental-based song basically turned into a challenge. And I feel like this is kind of when we started to get a lot more of that kind of music in a way. Maybe even this kind of preceded a lot of what we see on TikTok now. Oh, definitely. In regards to the whole idea of taking, you know, a, a portion of a song somewhere between 15 and 30 seconds and basically creating either some challenges around it some memes around it. Um, of course, we got a lot of this happening past 2012 with stuff like the mannequin challenge that was associated with like black beetles um, and whatnot. Um, so once again, I feel like 2012 was kind of setting the tone for that as well. And then honestly, with just the 2010s in general, it was a very interesting time for Billboard music as well as music in general. Because on one hand, you had Kesha, and on the other hand, you had Mumford & Sons occupying the same territory on the charts, oftentimes in the same week, actually, which is just extremely unusual. Um, I don't know if we'll really have that much of a contrast, really, in uh, Billboard charting music probably ever again just because of how so many, you know, musical movements were going. Uh, but one artist in particular who really did come into his own after leaving a kind of so-called, or what you could say would be an odd group, would be none other than Frank Ocean, who came out with Channel Orange in 2012. And uh, for those who did not catch that pun, Frank Ocean was part of the rap collective Odd Future, along with Tyler, the creator, Earl Sweatshirt, 
and countless others. There's so many members that have been in and out of that group. I can't really name all of them at a given time. It's a little hard to keep track of everybody, kind of like the Wu-Tang Clan in a way. But uh, yeah, so Channel Orange, in my opinion, is one of the best R&B albums and one of the best albums that has come out in not only the last 10 years, but I could honestly probably say the last 20 years um, in terms of just the style of R&B that Frank Ocean was able to capitalize on where he has this sound that is mostly in R&B, but also has influences of hip hop and actually alternative rock too, in some respects. You know, he has Pyramids, which is one of my favorite songs on there, which is a nine minute track that goes from being kind of a dance club banger for the first probably three, four, five minutes, and then beat switches and turns into this kind of almost trap influenced R&B kind of, I don't want to say ballad, but, but kind of. Um, it, 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 there's a huge, huge switch on that track. Another great track on that album is Sweet Life, which definitely has a bit of a Stevie Wonder influence from Pharrell's chords to the way that Frank Ocean is talking about, you know, essentially somebody growing up in a, a Black Beverly Hills of Ladera Heights and you know, talking about how she's had landscapers and housekeepers and stuff like that. But it's a brilliant track in terms of just the production. Frank's lyrics are in top form, which if people are unaware, Frank Ocean actually got his start as a writer for other artists. He's written songs for the likes of John Legend, Justin Bieber. I think he's even written for Beyonce, I think, too. So he got his start as a ghostwriter for other major artists. So hence why the songwriting and the lyricism is like in top form. Um, another great song is Super Rich Kids, which samples Benny and the Jets and kind of uh, reinterpreted and flipped on its head in terms of this hip-hop track about indulgence and excess and kind of with a bit of a satirical bite to it. And then, of course, you have tracks like Thinking About You, which is, you know, kind of more of the centerpiece of the album. Thinking About You is one of the better love songs that has been written in the last little bit of time. But overall, Frank was able to really channel a particular type of sound with this record. And he really blended a lot of what he was doing in Odd Future with kind of the more quirky production, you know, more of a kind of playful approach to some of the songs, but then also combine it with some serious musicianship and just amazing production, which makes this one of the standout records of 2012. And one of my personal favorites also. Yeah, the synthesizers and the sound design go really hard in that album. Very much so. The sound selection overall that Frank has with synths and John Mayer even plays guitar on a couple tracks. 
so that's really cool. I want to say Mike Dean kind of has a little bit of some influence with some of the synths on here too, which uh, Mike Dean is pretty much a lot of the main mastermind behind a lot of what you're hearing now in terms of especially hip hop, you know, like the Travis Scott kind of sound with the synths and, and all that. But the sound selection does go really, really hard. And I think overall, the album is incredibly well produced for it being from 2012. Definitely. I listen to a lot of the music now and it still holds up extremely well. So, uh, yeah, so Frank Ocean, Channel Orange, one of the best records of 2012, one of the best records I can say of the last 10 years. If you have not listened to it, please do yourself a favor and go listen to it. And even if you have listened to it, go listen to it again, because you might pick up some things that you did not previously. Definitely one of my favorites. Definitely indicative of how R&B and hip hop was actually kind of taking big form at this time. Um, and not to say that hip hop and R&B was not taking immense form in the 2010s or the 90s, but this is a different kind of hip hop. People were pushing the boundaries in terms of what was possible on a hip hop record. And of course, we can't talk about 2012's hip hop and 2010's hip hop. We can't talk about either one without mentioning Mr. Kendrick Lamar with Good Kid, Mad City, an album that has had immense veneration and respect, especially as time has gone on. And for good reason, this album is an experience, to say the very least, with the narrative structure that it follows. The fact that Kendrick is able to immerse you in a mood and is able to encapsulate you in a story while providing you with, in my opinion as well, some of the best hip hop of the 2010s. It's an incredibly well-crafted record. It has pretty much something for everybody. I mean, Poetic Justice with Drake was a great collaboration. Honestly, I'm kind of sad that we didn't get to see even more collaborations between Drake and Kendrick, because actually I think they work pretty well. Money Trees is a classic, which samples some Beach House, which uh, we may end up talking about a little bit later in this program, which is just a really kind of ingenious sample in terms of being able to take the song and once again, completely reinterpret it and redesign it into something else um of course you have what is it the art of peer pressure is a great song you also have sing about me i'm dying of thirst which is just incredibly emotional too with that song there's kind of a bit of a, an old school 90s jazz rap boom bap kind of aesthetic on that one um which is something i think maybe you'd appreciate isaac especially after many a conversations we've had post podcast where we talk about our love and admiration for boom bap so oh definitely <laughs> um those are just a few of the many great songs that are on this record of course mad city as well uh swimming pools which was probably one of the biggest songs also of 2012 yeah that was huge dude that was everywhere yeah and for good reason because once again you want to talk about a 
masterclass in songwriting and lyricism, like especially lyricism. Like, yeah. It's very melodically rich. Yeah, I definitely hail that for <clears throat> its melodic richness. And it's definitely a testament to songwriting, especially as rap was, you know, evolving. Of course, you know, there's so many different subgenres. So when I say rap, I'm talking about hip hop as a whole. Yeah. No, no, I feel I feel that. I think what makes that song really great is that it's a song that lyrically goes against binge drinking or goes against the idea of, you know, immensely getting yourself deep in alcohol and, you know, kind of warning of the dangers even of, you know, going too far in regards to partying. Yeah, that's something you don't hear a lot in popular music. But it does it over a beat that's banging. So you don't even really know. Mm -hmm. And it's so ironic that most parties ended up playing the song as part of their rotation because if you listen to the lyrics, it's the exact antithesis of like the party itself, yet it's always in all of these party playlists. So Yeah, well, people don't really think. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, it's just a brilliant, brilliant example of, you know, realizing a concept and you want to talk about some production, like where I think we got a lot of what maybe I would describe as kind of Kendrick's quintessential sound with kind of the pitched up and down vocals going at the same time, creating that like harmony between himself, a lot of just the manipulation of his voice um, and different inflections, kind of like Andre 3000 would do. So yeah, classic record overall. I think this is one that's going to continue to get better with age, I think. And overall, it's just an amazing record. So that's Good Kid, Mad City for you. So speaking of Kendrick collaborators, Taylor Swift did put out Red this year in 2012, uh, which was really a big signification for her direction and her sound for pretty much the next decade to follow. At least in my humble opinion, Red is where Taylor Swift became bonafide pop. And the idea of Taylor Swift, the pop star, really took form. You had massive singles on here. You had, of course, Red. You had We Are Never Getting Back Together. We had 22. So overall, huge record. Definitely kind of dictated the shape that Taylor's music would fall into for a long time, basically until very recently where she kind of decided to go more folk indie girl on kind of uh, the folklore and evermore, which some people had really gotten on Taylor Swift about essentially cosplaying as a folk indie girl on those records, <laughs> that there wasn't really a sense of complete authenticity. But authenticity in the music business? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> but um, Red is kind of one of the notable examples that I can think of where she really just said, nah, I'm not really doing the country thing anymore. Um, I want to say Red is kind of one of the, the songs that comes to mind that has that kind of, I guess, old school Taylor sound, a little bit of twang left over still. But at least to me, this is the record where she decided that she was going to be 
more in the pop arena. She was truly transitioning or molting, so to speak, in this record. Yeah, most definitely. Um, do you want to take the Lana record? Uh, to be fully transparent, I'm not really huge on Lana. I heard her uh, in 2015 with West Coast. Mm-hmm. You know, Coca-Cola and all that jazz. Yes. I wasn't even there during her video game era. I heard video games later. Mm-hmm. I never really got into that. And then obviously, you know, Kiss by Carly Rae Jepsen now got huge. At least that one song. We don't need to talk about that at all. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was an interesting time for pop. Oh, right. Because Pure Heroin hadn't come out yet. It would come out a year later. Yes. And so uh, Lord's kind of cooking that up behind the scenes. You're right. Yep. But uh, Take Me Home by One Direction was huge. That was gigantic. Yes. And uh, everyone was big on that. It was a bit, I'm not going to lie. I think that One Direction was, for me, a little bit of a flash in the pan than even compared to a lot of boy bands because BTS and I think bands like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys seem to have more longevity, Mm. in my opinion. I almost likened One Direction to a Big Time Rush, no offense, even though I kind of like Big Time Rush, <laughs> no cap. <laughs> okay, All right. I mean, I liked Big Time better, <laughs> but that was just, you know, I don't really care that much. That Whatever, I used to trash on boy bands, you know, what, we were like 20, whatever, like, who cares now? You know, remember uh, Five Seconds, and they came out with like a whole pop-punk boy band aesthetic, and that was very fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I have a lot of respect for One Direction now. And this is during that same time as uh, We Are Young with, you know, Some Nights, which oh. I know you want to take that one over. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we both have a, a fair amount to say about this record. Yes. So I think we can kind of take this more. To you mean contrast? <laughs> yeah, we can definitely take this one on together, I think. But yeah, Some Nights fun. Fun being the you know, collective of Nate Ruiz, Jack Antonoff, and some other guy. I, I don't know the other guy's name. I'm, I'm sorry. No one ever does. It escapes me. <laughs> but basically, the main driving forces of this collective were Jack Antonoff, who later became a huge producer for Taylor Swift and um, the 1975 and countless other acts he's been producing, as well as starting his own band basically which is bleachers okay so yes so jack antonoff bleachers okay i was gonna say wait i think that is bleachers and and yes you had confirmed that so i love bleachers and i love the format yeah i like everything before and after just not during fun (laughs) (laughs) i guess it's safe to say that it wasn't fun for you so no it was not fun for me at all But yeah, no, that first Bleachers record, which I think came out a couple of years after this, I want to say in 2014 or 2015, I think, um, that's a great record, actually. There is a lot of really great songs on there. But with Fun, this was kind of in a lot of people's soundtracks of 2012. Yes, everywhere. Yeah, this was an album with songs that you really could not escape, even if you tried to escape them. Nope. Especially We Are Young, that was being played at 
God knows how many parties, how many, you know, graduations, how many kind of like milestone moments, I guess. It was almost kind of like the good riddance time of your life of 2012. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, same here, buddy. <laughs> it's probably good we didn't meet up today. I I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a little bit too, but I'm definitely not the vid. Don't worry, but I'm I'm good. So basically with this fun record, yeah, you, you really couldn't escape it. We Are Young was probably the quintessential song off the record that you really couldn't avoid. Some Nights also was everywhere. The title track, although to be honest with you, I like that track a lot better than, than We Are Young. I actually, I don't mind that track entirely. You know, I have to review it. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, because, you know, they... they Definitely, uh, maybe, you know, I had a different mind back then. I'm still not a fan of We Are Young, really. I, I still don't like that song that much. I can hear where it's very interesting. It just bores me to death. And it just, I can't stand that like slowed down chorus. Mm -hmm. That's just me personally. And right. it definitely reeks of 2012, like early 2010s. I, I mean, it's not Icona pop necessarily, but, you know, it's in that same vein. It's not as energetic, but it fits right in with the, it's just like this power chorus, but it's slow. Mm -hmm. Still, I don't vibe with it at all. But, you know, because I did like the format and I also like Jack Antonoff, you know, I'm sure if I revisited that album, there are going to be some tracks that I might like decently. I did try getting to their other albums too, and I, I just didn't find much success. So, and honestly, it's been a long time since I tried some nights. So I might try it again some night. Ah, ah, that's good. Yeah, that's that pretty bad. And then the other track that's on there, too, is Carry On as well, which was kind of one of the big singles. I believe I remember that one. Yeah, that kind of has a... I'm not sure how to exactly describe it. I think they were trying to evoke the same kind of sing-along nature of something like Piano Man, especially with, like, the chorus. Oh, okay where it's kind of a song that everybody can sing in like a bar or something like that. That's funny. So this is Fun's version of a bar song, basically. And you can hear it with kind of the group sing towards the end, like the production too. They have almost like Irish sounding production on it, um, which is very interesting. So that's definitely one of the big singles there. But Kind of on the antithesis of the fun record in terms of the rock spectrum, we had Night Visions by Imagine Dragons, which is a record that Isaac and I have actually talked about in pretty decent length at various points in the podcast's history, mostly just because of the kind of Vegas rock sound that was kind of going. Um, once again, it's another band from Vegas. Neon Trees, The Killers, Panic at the Disco. Yeah. And most of those bands were also Mormon, with the exception of Panic at the Disco. Yep. Yep. So it's almost <laughs> like Vegas Mormon rock. Mm hmm. It's like Utah, Nevada, kind of. Yeah. A little Southwestern kind of rock. But uh, Night Visions was actually pretty notable because I think it did kind of signify a bit of a shift in terms of like mainstream rock music. Yes. And the idea of basically a lot of mainstream rock music transitioning into incorporating more elements from hip hop and R&B and 
really blurring the line of what is, you know, considered rock music. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that most of this record was produced by Alex DeKid, who is most notably known for producing like Eminem tracks and stuff like that, known for producing these grandiose tracks that have, you know, a hip hop influence that usually also have big choruses. One of the tracks that he's most known for is Love the Way You Lie. Um, producing it with Rihanna and Eminem, which was, I think, was it a year or two earlier before this album, I think? I thought it was 2008. Uh, wait, was it 2010 or 2008? Or am I off? I think it's 2010 with Recovery. Okay. But basically, Alex the Kid ended up being, in my opinion, the perfect producer for Imagine Dragons in that respect because he was able to really fit with the band's aesthetic and you know the band itself has what are the you know characteristics of an imagine dragon song well a big chorus you know mm-hmm. almost even bombastic like larger than life yeah sounding chorus and then usually the verses are you know more kind of rhythmically different and dan reynolds especially now tends to, you know, do his verses with more of a hip hop cadence. And that has been, you know, I guess a thing since Radioactive, which was once again, a huge song that you could not escape in in this year. Um, The thing that was really interesting about Night Visions in comparison to the rest of the Dragons catalog, though, was that you had some remnants of the folk rock movement going on, too. Yes, he did, because of Mumford and Sons and Lumineers kind of bringing it back, as well as what? Of Monsters and Men? Mm-hmm. I almost said Of Mice and Men. <laughs> it's a totally different band. <laughs> I mean, some people would, you know, want to treat the that folk rock movement and albums like Lenny of Mice and Men and take it to the back and shoot it. Oh, wait. And Edward Sharp, Magnetic Zeros, as well as Father John Misty, and not Bonnie Vare, but there's another one that escapes my memory. Uh, it was... Not Passenger. Who was it? Oh, Passenger was, actually. Yes. But, oh, the Decemberists were also kind of doing stuff. Sorry. So proceed, because I just totally thought of all these indie folk bands from that era. No, I mean, that's... If you want an indie folk playlist of 2010s indie folk, that's it right there, basically. American authors. <laughs> oh, don't even... Oh, Lord of mercy. Don't even get me started on how much... Don't even get me started on how much American authors <laughs> was fighting off of Imagine Dragons, bro. They wanted to be Imagine Dragons so badly, especially with like the best day of my life song, which is probably their peak, their pinnacle. Because come on, you can't tell me that American authors didn't listen to I'm on Top of the World by Imagine Dragons. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> let's do our own version of that. Let's do that. And made a, you know, a, Hugely successful Billboard hit. I'm still a believer. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. They took that one sliver of Imagine Dragons sound and ran with it, basically, mm-hmm. and formed their entire band around one sliver of the Dragon sound. But that is the thing that makes this Dragons record different than the other Dragons records, because the other Dragons records really don't have the folk rock thing on it. Um, I want to say the follow-up 
Smoke and Mirrors had a few tracks that were kind of like that. You know, that album was a total flop. I remember it getting like pushed by Target too because they're trying to like yes. do a promotion. Yeah. Dude, I tried getting to that record. I thought it was bad. I'm sorry, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree with me, but I think that's... No, no, I do not. Uh, it was, wow. in my opinion, it was a sophomore slump, like the very definition of a sophomore slump. And I think... It's mostly just because I'm not even sure if the record was really that bad. I mean, I think it was different because Alex the Kid wasn't producing on it. That's true. That's true. So I think with Alex the Kid, you know, he was really good about making radio ready music, basically. But you and I both agree that, you know, they never really touched no. Night Visions. So no, no, it's a bit of a tall order from the beginning. No, unfortunately, they ended up kind of like, Maroon 5, or someone maybe even say The Killers in that aspect, too. Oh, totally. With their first record really being the best. And, like, nothing had really reached the level that the first record was able to to bring. But, I mean, Imagine Dragons, I do remember loving Night Visions, though. Right. And actually, I still hold it in pretty high regard, actually. Most of the tracks, anyway, I hold in, in pretty high regard. Guess which one is my absolute favorite on that record? What's that? Which one? Well, no, no. Take take a guess. I'll give you three. Uh, it's not demons. I know no, it's not. It's demons. not okay. So it doesn't because count. Because <laughs> I know it's not because you've talked about how it's a Coldplay ripoff, so you don't want to. It's okay. Yeah, you know, it's not a. I mean, it's super catchy. You know, but it is catchy. But that's not it. No. Um, is it a deep cut? Like, is it kind of one that's not a single? Yeah, but like, I think kind of. I mean, I, I don't remember if it's a single or not, but try me. I don't think it's... They have a song on there called Amsterdam, too, but that's not it. I don't think. I do like Amsterdam. It's not that one. That's your first... Okay, I'll give okay. you that one. Yeah, but I mean, I know that you love Coldplay's Amsterdam, so that's why I was like, uh, okay. No, I do like Amsterdam on that one as well, but not really, you know, it's not really like a super favorite. Okay. Two more. Um... I don't know, like Tiptoe, maybe? Yes, you got it. You got it. I love that track. It's so dynamic. Yeah. And it's powerful. Yeah, because I was kind of thinking, like, like the cogs in my mind were kind of going, like, what is the track that Isaac would like the most? Nice one. What are the things that Isaac looks for in a track? Oh, he likes dynamicism. He likes different kinds of production. Okay, so... You know, it's a deeper cut. Tiptoe was definitely not a single. No, no. So that was kind of another thing, too. Usually the ones that you end up liking are not the singles, actually. I'm very glad that you got my isms. Yeah, so, but not to say that the singles on this record were all bad. I mean, Demons was a good single. Of course, Radioactive and It's Time were both. I actually love It's Time. I love that one. It's Time is pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, on top of the world, for sure, with that kind of folky Mumford influenced sound. Kind of reminds me of Bastille sometimes. Not like perfectly, but, you know. Oh, yeah, because I think, if anything, it was Bastille that was taking because Imagine Dragons came. Then Bastille did their debut record, I think, in 13 or 14. Mm hmm. So this intersection of alternative rock, folk, other influences into rock was kind of all brewing at the same time. 
Right. And I think that Bastille kind of was maybe like the UK's answer to Imagine Dragons, maybe. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, okay, you know, they're probably thinking, well, America's got Imagine Dragons, so we need our version of Imagine Dragons, which I think Bastille kind of fit the profile on. Right. Yeah, um, if you want to go ahead and get your signature Isaac Grover speed run uh, of records... We are now at the part of the program, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, where Isaac Grover is going to speed run records, and he's going to go through right. God knows how many. He's going to go through God knows how many albums and tell you whether or not it's trash or it's fire. And they're like twenty, like twenty-five albums, dude. <laughs> or maybe it is a trash and a fire in the sense that it's a it's a garbage fire, and you really shouldn't listen to it. You know, a lot of these are um, surprisingly huge favorites of mine. Because I was thinking 2012 was a bit of a floppier, but I totally forgot my college days, right? Yeah. So like, no, I had a lot of albums that year. Like I had to try to find good albums and I found some decent ones. You know, I mean, at the time, it's not like I just found them. I mean, I just remember like, oh, wow, I used to listen to these on rotation quite a bit. But by the way, uh, do you know much about, are you that big on lonerism? You said not really. It's more currents, right? Yeah, for me, I didn't get into Tame until Currents. I was late to the party. Ah, you weren't current. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that wasn't even a setup until it was a setup. You feel me? <laughs> yeah, but not to say that I don't like Lonerism, though, because Lonerism is still a great record. And Lonerism actually is when Tame started to get more traction, actually. Right. Because Tame and Paula had been around in or he had been making music in you know, his native Australia for a little while. But basically, he couldn't break through a lot of the criticisms that he was making kind of bad Beatles knockoffs for a while. Right. And he had to kind of shake that image of kind of being, you know, lumped into a Beatles revival act. And so I think with Lonerism, he was able to do it because he had more of that true psychedelic sound that we know. Right, right. That we know Tame by now that we love. And he was able to make some really catchy singles. Like that was the thing about Lonerism is that he was able to hone in on the psychedelic rock sound and make it approachable and make it really accessible for people who are not even necessarily into psychedelic rock. Yeah, no, Lonerism was great. It was. Yeah, because you had songs like Feels Like We Only Go Backwards, mm -hmm. which has tons of influence on God knows how many artists and bands have noted that Feels Like We Only Go Backwards. Oddly enough, actually, a lot of hip-hop artists, their favorite group is Tame Impala. That's actually very true. Yes. Yeah, so Frank Ocean has been quoted saying he loves Tame Impala, mm -hmm. ASAP Rocky, Travis Scott, to name a few. And then you also have tracks like Elephant, too. Elephant is pretty rocking, actually. And Elephant is cool because Elephant is actually kind of, in a way, I mean, some people might say, oh, that's Kevin's impression of Queens of the Stone Age, basically, with kind of the rhythmic riff and the kind of harder you know, guitar sounds, but it's a rockin' track. And fun fact, Tame Impala was the last concert that I saw before the globe shut down, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I think you, maybe not, maybe you didn't tell me that. That's something you would have told me, though. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it was an absolutely transcendental experience for sure. Solid, solid. The lonerism is fantastic. Anybody who's looking into psychedelic rock, anybody who's looking into kind of elements of garage, even on that record, anybody who just wants to listen to good modern rock music, I would say that album is great. Lonerism is, I think, should be held in as high regard as Currents. I know that Currents is kind of the more mainstream pick because in terms of like front to back, it's almost a perfect record, in my opinion. Right. And just, you know, and they always talk about on TikTok, the albums that changed your music taste or like expanded your music taste. And Tame Impala definitely fits in that category. But if you have time, we can try to get on a speed run real quick. Oh, I'll speed it, man. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Get get at it, Isaac. All right. So typically, I'm a lot more organized, but today I'm just not organized. So y'all are going to just, you know, deal with it. Because I really do try to organize these by genre. These are albums that I do know about or I listen to them a lot. So it's a mix. <coughs> we're going to, we're both dying, man. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So Ocean by Dive, D-I-I-V, and Visions by Grimes. Mm-hmm. I know of both of those records. I've listened to Ocean before. I know I liked it. I can't remember my standout tracks, but I definitely like Dive. Grimes, I do like her. I'm bigger on... There's another artist who's just like her, and I don't know why I can't think. <laughs> Maybe it is her. Hold on. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, yeah. So I do like Grimes, but um, Little Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to a lot of Little Dragon at that time, and so sometimes I would get them mixed up because they're such a similar vibe. So there's that. And then here's like the odd one now, Lumineers, because it's more like the indie folk mm-hmm. sound. But, you know, that was pretty well known at the time. Like that was part of the passenger American authors still kind of coming out of the Mumford and Sons era. And this is around the time Mumford and Sons was starting to kind of like shift out of that Mumford sound. Mm-hmm. I don't think they did it successfully necessarily, but I won't lie. I, I kind of dug a little bit of their effort. But it just didn't feel authentic. That was the only issue. So there's that. The Only Place by Best Coast. Did you ever listen to them? No, I haven't. Okay. I'm just being enlightened by what you're talking about. I did listen to that Lumineers record back in the day. Of course, like, um, Ho Hey, You Couldn't Escape That Song, right? Oh, dude, you just, like, unlocked a recess in my memory, man. Yeah, you couldn't escape that. There was another freaking song that was on that same record that you couldn't escape either. There was like two huge songs, but like Ho Hey was like in that was like trailer music. Ho Hey and actually even a lot of the stuff that was off that Imagine Dragons record. Um, sorry to interrupt the speed run, but no problem. Those albums actually had a lot of music that made it into movie trailers. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> And I think that's actually how a lot of them got probably pretty popular, actually, was that they were just in enough trailers and people were like, oh, that's an interesting song. And I remember Ho Hey, I think it was like it was like trailers for like romantic comedy movies. Yeah, yeah, it was it was so. Yeah, I remember it was was like, oh, that's cheesy. It was so cheesy, dude. Like that's the equivalent of watching a trailer or something from the 2000s. Actually, Coldplay kind of fit in that category, too, because I think people were playing like Yellow and Sparks and like movies, too. 
that would have fit better in something like Fault in Our Stars. But yeah, the ho hey type stuff was even more in the bottom of the barrel. I I, I love how many people are going to be mad. But I'm just like, I mean, I actually kind of liked Lumineers. I, I won't lie. I really had a pretty low tolerance for indie folk of the early 2010s because of, in my opinion, how derivative and unoriginal it was. It really was nothing new. And I hated that. I mean, Father John Misty. Yeah. At least Father John Misty and Bonnie Vare brought up, you know, they amped it up with their hooks as well as their production. Oh, Bonnie. So, oh, dude, Bonnie Vare especially, man. And Sharon Von Etten, right? Is that her name? Oh, I thought you were Sharon Von Etten. I thought you were talking about Hit Sharon for a minute. I was like, what? Oh. <laughs> no. I mean, he, he actually did a good, Um, I won't lie. I actually liked his, uh, what was it? The plus one? The Yeah. Or the green? No, the green one is Multiply. Multiply was pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I dug his early stuff. He, I mean, I will get destroyed if I ever, ever compare him to Elliot Smith, but you know what I'm, I'm getting at. Yeah, don't, don't do that. No, it's not that he's comparable necessarily, but the songwriting is relevant for the time. Even though Elliot Smith was a lot more of an underground guy, um, wasn't as well known. He's a lot more of a, like a Harry Nilsson. Like most people don't know who he is unless they really like music or Nick Drake, right? But um. You know, Ed Sheeran was way more well-known. But again, you know, he's like a John Legend. Like, he's a good singer-songwriter. I don't know where he's at right now because I'm just not there with him. But um, musically, I've learned to really respect Sheeran. So I'm just going to give that a little bit. But yeah, I'll gloss through these. Mm. So yeah, the only place by Best Coast, I really didn't get into their 2012 record. Uno by Green Day. I wasn't really huge on that. So I'm not going to lie. I'm just putting it out there for those people who could remember that. I remember when it came out. Oceania by Smashing Pumpkins. I remember I tried like maybe one or two tracks and I just kind of fell off of that. Mm -hmm. Bloom by Beach House. I mean, that one's a certified classic for sure. Mm -hmm. I know I listened to, was it Cherry? You know, the, the Red Album? Yes. Was that from 2010 or 2013 or when was that? Uh, let me check you on that real quick. Okay, so you check and then you just interrupt me. Yeah, uh, one sec. Oh, and did Godier release that year or was that only a single? <clears throat> no, that was an album, but I mean, basically it was a one, it was one a hit one wonder. hit. Mm-hmm. It was a one hit song, yeah. What about Milky Chance, right? Also? Yeah. Oh, so the album you're talking about, the red one, is Depression Cherry. Depression which Cherry. Which came out in 2015. Yes. Okay. And Depression Cherry is the one that when people discuss Beach House, they talk about Depression Cherry. Yes. And that's the one that I talk about, too, because I remember that album pretty well. A lot better than uh, Bloom, actually. Yeah, they talk about that one more than pretty much a lot of the other Beach House records. Gotcha. But Bloom is a fantastic album. Right. Beach House in general is just a killer group, you know, in that respect. If you're looking for more ambient, chill music. And uh, by the way, um, the song that Kendrick sampled to go full circle is Silver Soul off of Teen Dream. Okay, got it. Just to let you know. But back to your speed run. (laughs) Yeah, but which was... uh, Oh, no, yeah, no. Stolen Dance was in 2013. Just like uh, what was... um... Ah, I, Trojans was one of my favorite songs around this time, but that was, I believe, released in 2013 by Atlas Genius. Mm-hmm. Yes. So 
that one's going to be probably next year. We can talk about that. But yeah, that was there. Also, I remember Hold On by Alabama Shake. So Boys and Girls. Yes. You know, I vaguely gave that album a listen. Again, very R&B, like classic. Britney, the singer, she, I mean, I loved her voice. Now, I do know that this was the Adele and Amy Winehouse kind of era of singing. And it's still kind of here, but it's not as aggressive as it used to be. It was a lot more of that old school singing. And like I said, I often knock on derivative, unoriginal, but Britney has a really amazing voice. And I have to hand it to Shakes. You know, they really innovated on her sound. Mm -hmm. I think it was sound and color. Do you remember that? Yes. Sound and color. Yes. I remember these. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) No, the Shakes record is really good, actually. Yeah, Shakes was great. Um, the Shakes record is really good. It has a kind of nice intersection of soul and rock. Mm-hmm. It's that smoky Midwest Southern kind of sound. Yeah, definitely. More of Americana kind of, yeah. Yes. Ameri- oh my gosh. Right. I forgot about War on Drugs. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, so here's like the real speed run. So I just kind of got the ones I'm kind of okay out of the way. Now I'm going to honestly get to the ones I hate. And go figure, it's by one of my favorite bands. Can you guess which one it is? (laughs) Um, I saw it on the list, but I... You did mention it. Think Las Vegas. Oh, oh. um... (sighs) It's not the killers, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes. Uh, Battleborn, I thought was a terrible album. And you might totally disagree with me. I thought it was garbage. I love the album cover. I love Flesh and Bones. I mean, I love that track. Oh, yeah. Flesh and Bone is great. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good song. Yeah, I know. I, that's what that's what made me mad. I mean, like, wow, like you got Hot Fuss. You got, you know, you got Sam's Town. And, you know, Day and Age was already, you know, already they're showing their shakiness. But then, like, they pulled a Paramore. And then four years later, they come out with a record. I mean, Paramore was even worse. Actually, no, it's the same. Four years later. You know, at least with Paramore, uh, ooh, we'll we'll touch on that next year. Mm-hmm. Um, at least with Paramore, I thought it was actually a good record, especially with the departure of the Faros. You know, I mean, there was that, and you know, whatever. But with, with the Killers, they didn't lose anyone, right? They didn't lose anyone, and they mm-hmm. they've always kind of retained the same members. I forgot if Ronnie Venucci is still part of the band, but Battleborn was just a bunch of. Americana like it just didn't feel like anything like it felt like Brandon Flowers solo stuff like Flamingo remember Flamingo from 2010 and then he did Crossfire in 2013 2015 something like that and and Can't Deny My Love yeah yeah yeah. the Can't Deny My Love was like that's the desired effect that was the solo record which I thought was actually okay which I actually thought was okay actually his solo stuff became better than the killer's efforts like what? Oh, most definitely, dude. What? Yeah, mo- most definitely. I mean, can't deny my <gasps> love. Um, what was the other one that was on that record? Um, oh, there was a lot of good ones on the Desired Effect, actually. I remember liking that quite a bit. Yeah, they were actually pretty good, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was that classic, yeah. uh, not, um, uh, I'm thinking of the wrong band. I mean, he's definitely influenced by Hollow Notes, but I'm trying to think of an 80s contemporary because that's all Brandon rips off from. Um. You know, he does rip off from um, Kate Bush, though, both solo and as like the band killers. Yeah, Kate Bush, um, Pet Shop Boys. Yes, uh, Pet Shop. Yep. 
that the cards. The cards. Um, well, we, we we all knew that one, yeah. <laughs> uh, Spring Spring Springsteen. Yeah. <laughs> Elton John. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh yeah. He's the ballad man, man. And see, that's what I hated about the killers eventually, is that Brandon got his grubby ballad fingers all over the killers and did a Dave Foster where like, and you know what's crazy? They weren't even as successful as Chicago were after that. Like the killers I felt got lazy. They kind of just rode off the coattails of their success. And while I know Paramore were going through their things, because like sometimes I want to accuse Paramore of doing the same thing. They got really big, right? And then they kind of disappeared. But I think they had a lot of drama. And sure, I guess the killers might have had some drama. But I feel like they just got lazy. Like they did two pretty, you know, banging albums, you know, because Day and Age really wasn't that great. It wasn't. I like it a lot, but it's not that great. Um, but they did two great records. And then, you know, they did a decent one after that. Then they did Sawdust, which I think, oh, Sawdust was, sorry, before Day and Age. Sawdust wasn't even a record. And I tell everyone they should have done a full-fleshed album based on maybe half the tracks because then another half of the tracks were okay because they were like B-sides and jazz like that. But um, I think Sawdust is one of the greatest albums that never was by The Killers. If they had focused on half of the tracks like sound, that would have been cool because it sounded original and you could hear The Killers' influences and it didn't sound like throwbacks. It sounded like kind of the new rock. Like, that's what I was hoping was going to be the new rock. And then they just kind of pulled a Bruce Springsteen and Fleetwood Mac and Kate Bush. And I'm like, you got nothing like fresh for us. So Battleborn was just a letdown. It was nothing but Heartland Rock and ballads. And I hated that because their albums used to be fun. And that's why I got mad at the killers. I felt like they were selling themselves short. So Wow, I, I spent way too much time on that. But there's that. Second Law by Muse is a lot better than I remember it because I know I was talking about it with Christina on the show. And um, I have more respect for Second Law. But at the time, I was pretty disappointed. But Second Law is pretty decent. I don't know your take on that. Oh, sorry, I was muted um, for a second. Um, no problem, that's funny. Yeah, the Second Law was one of those things where a lot of Muse fans are still not the biggest fan of this record yeah same because once again muse fell into the category of their early albums being so good that it was pretty much almost impossible for them to top their original records Mm -hmm. and i do remember this album getting like quite a bit of hate when it came out but i think time has actually done it a little bit of a favor in that respect because i think there are some cool tracks on here Right. Actually, one of the better songs on this is Panic Station. Panic Station is pretty cool. Yeah, which kind of sounds like Muse's take on, I don't know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers or something. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Red Hot Chili Peppers and uh, um, Stevie. Stevie. Yeah, Stevie, but also Michael Jackson, at least in the rhythm section. Yeah. Who did it remind me of? Not Queen. Um, oh, the man. The Killers would kind of do that. They'd almost kind of mimic Panic Station with the man. Yeah. Not the exact same, but, you know, the overly cliched bass line. That's the only reason why I didn't like about Panic Station as well as... Um... Wait, is Panic Station the one that's slow? No, no. Madness. Madness is the one that's slow. Okay, okay. So, 
No, Panic Station is the one with like do 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 do. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's a funk track. Yeah, definitely. It's too much of a standard for me to really appreciate. And that's what I hated about that and the man, even though they're really catchy, because I find myself like, you know, the man's pretty catchy. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's that's pretty catchy. But when I first heard both of those tracks, mm. I was kind of like, yeah, the do do like they both do that. And I'm like, like, it sounds like the do 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 another one bites the dust. Like, it just sounds right. like like, do you guys have anything new? So. I don't know. I, w- I was younger. I was more angry. And now I'm older and still angry, but you know, a little more knowledgeable. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, Beacon by Tudor Cinema Club was also a flop. Um, it had some cool songs like Handshake and whatnot. But uh, you know, their first album, their debut in 2010 was amazing. That was Tourist History. That one has so many good songs on it. Um, this one's not an album, but an EP, Valor by Darius. He's a French house artist. This one came out in 2012. I loved it. Malibu was really good. And I mean, that one's everyone needs to check out Darius because Darius and Flume were two of my favorite electronic, actually, even my favorite artists, including Tycho of the 2010s. Yeah, Tycho's great. Tycho's cool. I loved all three of them. So the Temper Trap by the Temper Trap's pretty cool. I still prefer the 2009 album, but you know, this one has Rabbit Hole. That one's a great song. Shreen's Purity Ring. I love that record. I thought it was pretty good. I think Fine Train is the song. And then Coexist by the XX. Again, I still prefer their 2009 debut, but Coexist is still good. About a Feeling by Summer Heart. I would listen to I Want to Go all the time. So I'm not really big on the album necessarily, but Summer Heart's great. Threads by Now Now, one of my top 20 records of all time, maybe top 30. That one's a great record. Check it out. Lily of the Valley by Funeral Suits. All Those Friendly People. It's a really good single. It's not super obscure, Funeral Suits, but it's still pretty... No one talks about Funeral Suits. So Lily of the Valley is a really good album to check out. In a Million Years, also in my top maybe 30, 40, or 50 albums. Maybe top 60, but this is in my top 100 for sure. Last Dinosaurs, they're a great artist. A lot like Tudor Cinema Club. So like, you know, check them out. They're really good. Nocturne by Wild Nothing. If you like crying and you like uh, Tears for Fears, if you like stuff like that, then you'll like Wild Nothing. Really good stuff. Kind of the dreamy 80s synth pop style. Again, I knock on throwbacks, but Nocturne is a throwback that, man, I love. Attack on Memory by Cloud Nothings. Really love that record. Totally derivative of the 90s, but it's an amazing record. It's, you know, your Sonic Youth. It's got your, your Nirvana. It just sounds like Seattle. Mm. Like that whole album just sounds like Seattle or Oregon. Mm. I don't know where they're from, but... Mm. I can feel that. Yeah, no, that's a great record. Yeah, I, I love anything that's like that Pacific Northwest kind of sound. Yeah, I dig that. Oh, it's totally Pacific Northwest. So Cloud Nothings, at least for, you know, they're okay. They're a little bit of a one-trick pony. That's my only issue with them. But aside from that, um, Tough Love by Pulled Apart by Horses. I mean, if you love your hard rock, like your Foo Fighters, mm. if you're looking for like an evolution, or if you like Royal Blood, if you're looking for an evolution in hard rock, mm. I mean, P-A-B-H is someone to get into. So Tough Love is great. I love um, Wolf Hand. Such a good song. An Awesome Wave by Alt-J. I mean, how could we not talk about that with Breeze Blocks? And I mean... Oh, yeah. I love you so, I love you so. Okay. 
was that the album that also had left hand free on it no oh okay because that was when i got really familiar with alt jokes left hand free yeah, but i do remember that breeze blocks is on an awesome wave and i just remember hearing the sound of it and people were kind of ripping into it how about an awesome drum beat am i right it was amazing but you said people like ripping, like what? Like it was really bad. The vocalist, the vocalist. Oh, yes. What's his name? I, I don't know his name, but they were ripping into the way that he sounded like the. Oh, actually, you know, and people, first off, people suck. I suck. I was a total jerk. I wasn't big on his voice either. So I'm just going to be transparent i don't think bullying is ever okay mm. but his voice was you know it's very 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 unique i've never heard a voice like that at all not just even rock and roll and i'm sure you could find that out there but you know kudos to him for sticking through it and just doing it now again it's not personal i'm not big on the timber uh was it timber is it timber tomber yeah tomber <laughs> i'm not really big on a tomber of said voice but Man, really, 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 really good songwriter. And honestly, even though Alt-J is not necessarily my favorite artist of all time, they had some of the most like interesting and creative and experimental styles of art out of the 2010s, especially when everyone is doing really derivative and just kind of boring vanilla. Either they're doing like a total throwback or they're just like doing the safe modern aesthetic. Alt-J definitely went a different route. And of course, they didn't get big because of it, but they became highly respected within the alternative community. I mean, they even became so respected as to even be uh, put within the same cachet, not really genre-wise, but I'm talking about culturally-wise with like Foles. And Foles are a pretty highly respected alternative act. So, you know, kudos to Alt-J for that and whatever the lead guy's name is and the rest of the band because your drummer is amazing. I got to say that. So with this one, because you know how I get carried away. You know, Gossamer is a really good album. I love Passion Pit. That one is a peak for them. You know, they did uh, Take a Walk. Was Take a Walk on the same album? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was. And oh, Passion Pit was often compared with Foss of the People as well. So I remember that very well. Yeah, because it was that same period of like alternative rock so yeah or the naked and famous or the colorist yeah and actually even like mgmt kind of fall a little bit into that yeah mgmt was definitely darker passion pit had a more upbeat vibe but the thing is is that mgmt didn't always have a darker thing i think as they moved into the darker sound more into like the 2010s because um oracular spectacular which we've talked about on the show a couple of times definitely had a, a white sound right and i think that was kind of like why it was as successful as that album was i mean we could talk about 2007 too in terms of landmark year because there's just so much good stuff like that came in 2007 i mean that in rainbows in the same year is crazy honestly it's wild you know for me personally this year is pretty stacked for me. I mean, it's not probably for a lot of critics, but for me, it's pretty stacked because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm finally out of high school and I'm able to do my thing. So oh, definitely, this definitely was big for me. The last two that I think of 
which aren't really that big for me. Now, Synthetica by Metric, it wasn't as big as their 2009 album with uh, Help I'm Alive. I don't know why I can't remember the name of it. I think it's, oh, I think it's called Fantasies. And Synthetica was, it's all right. I mean, it wasn't my favorite. <laughs> it reminds me of something that St. Vincent would do. But Synthetica is pretty decent. Fantasies is still better, in my opinion, as well as uh, Metric's 2003 album, Forgot the Name, but I prefer that more. And then this last one, I'm not really that big on the album. You know, I listened to at least a little bit of it. But Picture Show by Neon Trees, that one has trust. And trust is one of my most listened to songs of the 2010s. That one's a really good one. So that one's got like all of this killer's energy. It's such a cool song. And I'm pretty positive he's playing a Fender Precision bass. And so it's got like that big boomy just i'd laugh if it was like a music man or a jazz but i really doubt that a jazz can sound that boomy or that a music man could have that much character in my opinion i think it sounds just like a precision and most people record with precisions in the studio so i mean it's a 90 something percent chances of precision but anyway trust is a good song on that album check out picture show yeah no 2012 is an extremely stacked year for me too so Mostly just because of so much great like R and B and hip hop coming out and a good amount of rock too, actually. So like yeah. Yes. Once again, I mean, this was the year that we thought it was all gonna come to an end. So I think there was just maybe some potential emphasis in creating just really catchy, memorable music. It was just a really interesting intersection of so many different genres and some big overall shifts happening in the music industry. And I think that actually a lot of the stuff that came out in this year is going to be regarded as classic material. Most notably, in my opinion, it's really Good Kid, Channel Orange, Lonerism. I mean, I think that those ones are kind of the definitive modern day classics of the bunch, but that's of course, extremely subjective because many people would, could also say that, you know, the Beach House record is a classic or some people could say, you know, that the Taylor Swift album is a classic or whatever. So it's all subjective. There's some pretty good albums in 2012, I got to say. No, overall, I would say this was a really good year. Like, I forgot how good of a year it was. I think it's because Gangnam Style kind of like blurred my vision. I wanted to write it off as a meme year, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, there was actually enough material out. And the weekend kind of started doing a lot of things at this point. But I don't think his stuff really came out until like 13. I think Yeah, was... that wasn't his peak. That was just his comeuppance. Yeah. So anyway, so 2012 is once again, a another fantastic year in music. So many great albums to choose from. Once again, also kind of like, 92, 02, and 82, I felt like there was a ton to choose from in terms of there was kind of a little something for everyone in that regard. So anyways, this has been the Work Tape Podcast. It's been your boy, Money Mitchell. We got Isaac Rubin Grover. Until next time, y'all, stay safe, stay well, stay healthy, especially in this winter season. All right. Awesome.